0: Welcome to Beyond the Block with Brother Jones and Brother Knox Centering the Marginalized in Mormonism Derek, how you doing, sir? Hey, I'm doing great Excellent, man Have a good week?
1: Yeah, I did I did two really interesting things I went to the National Day of Mourning event in Plymouth Yeah On Thursday Did y'all I, get rained out? There was some rain Uh-huh but, but we stood outside in the rain Okay And the uh, Native American... Speakers and leaders said, "Well, this isn't as bad as what our ancestors have gone through, so we can right. make it." Truth, truth. Yeah, that's really cool. And uh, a lot of important connecting things with climate change, um, being having the native peoples be, you know, stewards of the earth, and having that value centered was important. Talking about colonialism and just the European invasion of the Americas and how uh, but there was some degree of of hope and they said things like you know we're not conquered and we're as strong as we've ever been mm. and i think that was an important final note to the uh you know nearly 500 year tragedy that the native peoples of of this continent have endured
0: mm. all right glad you were able to go to that sounds like it was a really nice event
1: yeah if that's the appropriate word yeah. to use It was very solemn and sacred. I mean, there was some some drumming and chanting that really you could tell, oh, this is a very spiritual, sacred, and solemn thing. Hmm. Um, Yeah, it was important for me to be there. That's great. Glad you were able to make it. All right.
0: And this is your reminder that... Beyond the Block Podcast is a proud member of the Dialogue Podcast Network, a collective of independent, interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion of all aspects of the LGS tradition, thought and arts and culture. Find out more at dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. That's dialoguejournal.com slash podcast network. And with that, let's get into the news. So, Derek, two big things this week. Right. Now, last week we spoke about BYU-Idaho. For those of you who do not... Catch this story in the news. Apparently, BYU Idaho decided to reject students who were on Medicaid. Basically, like you would not be able to enroll in classes at BYU Idaho if Medicaid was all you had. You would have to select another approved education, uh, not approved education, and imp- approved insurance if you wanted to go to school there. Obviously, there was quite an uproar with uh, students at BYU or students at BYU Idaho. There were protests, there were a lot of letters written, and there were movements organized online. And it wasn't two days before BYU-Idaho decided to reverse its decision, seeing that it was not a good move. And I think they even used those words that this does not represent who we are as Mm BYU-Idaho. Did you see any more about that story, Derek?
1: What was interesting about that is they didn't claim credit for, oh, we just randomly did the right thing. It was like, we listened to you. We made a mistake, which mm-hmm. uh, which is a miracle that uh-huh. that is proof positive that the age of miracles is not over. Mm. That they that the leaders said, we listened to you and we made a mistake, and I think that was very powerful. And it shows how grassroots organizing and activism can make can make a real difference.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, speaking of grassroots efforts, I just learned this past week. You know, so I'm a convert, and I wasn't around in the 1970s. So I just learned that the quad that we have and the LDS edition of the uh, King James Bible with the footnotes and, you know, it helps and everything, that that was a grassroots request. Like, because before then, there was no standard LDS edition of the Bible. Everyone just used the King James, if they were Amer- uh, English-speaking, used whatever King James Bible someone else published. And everyone was on a different page, and there was no... And people were teaching, and, and then seminaries and institutes were teaching these things, and it was just really hard to teach. And people on the bottom said, hey, why don't we just do this? And it bubbled up through committees and went to the 12 and went to the first presidents, and they said, yes, let's do it. So the fact that we're all these quads that we, we carry around with this, that's us, right? That's something that we requested. So it uh, I didn't know that.
0: Neither did I. Yeah, that this is a- this, uh,
1: the 1979 edition uh, and there was no before then no uh, king, uh lds edition of the king james bible.
0: Mm. Okay, no edition of the king james bible and no no footnotes, no Yeah, that was the whole thing, right? There was no footnotes?
1: Yeah, no cross references to the other lds standard works. Uh, it would just be someone else some other publisher's king james bible that we mm. that everyone used and everyone was literally on a different page and so they uh that request need was first felt among the people and then that trickled up Hmm. that's really
0: cool i learned something new today thanks for sharing that derek so yeah byu idaho is back in the right with its students and with its state so applause to byu idaho for being big enough to say we made a mistake and rectified it that's Mm -hmm. that's really cool and also big props to those folks that organized those grassroots efforts on the ground to make that change happen. Really proud of you guys. All right, so the other story this week, I don't have a headline here, Derek, but what was it, the conver- there was a conversion therapy ban proposal?
1: Yeah, so what happened is the governor, I think, has approved the um, new rules for the professional organizations, and it basically um, for, bans conversion therapy in the state of Utah for those particular licensed, I guess, psychologists, counselors, and things that that are bound by those um, state licensing agencies. And I'm like, no, I haven't actually read the rule, and it, I don't think it's completely finalized because there's a period, but the fact that the governor is on board, and I think the church re- representatives are on board approving this, and the LGBT activists in Utah are approving this, like, oh good, this is, this is probably a really good step. Mm. Now it may not be perfect. I haven't read the rule, but I think it will go a long way towards um towards keeping the children of Utah safe. I hope so. Like I wonder I haven't seen the uh, exact wording of the new rule
0: either. I'm guessing the wording is similar to that same rule they proposed back in February that the church also approved, and I don't see what was so big of a deal about the most recent uh, proposed rule change that had the church all up, you know, that had them so bothered. But I'm just glad the church found something that has a conversion therapy ban in it that they're able to support. That is a positive step forward. And I'm glad that the church is able to approve it. And I'm glad that Utah is moving forward. I believe this is going to make them like the 20th state to accept or to adopt a Conversion mm. therapy
1: ban And I have to notice It's probably the only re- Republican majority Legislature state To do this hmm. I can't think of any other Red state That has done this I haven't done the
0: research So I don't know
1: but there's, uh, I don't think there's another one This is the only um, Republican Led legislature State That has done this hmm. Pretty impressive Utah. And I think that's because Of in part, the church's leadership, so I think we should claim some some credit for that. I hope that that people live into this this uh, uh and uh, here's the other thing is this only is a rule for those who are professionally licensed by the states, which means bishops can still do all the unlicensed conversion therapy they want. I just hope mm-hmm. they don't do it <laughs>
0: right I don't think they'll get away with it either like I think if word gets out about anybody doing that. It's going to get checked relatively swiftly, right? Because that is stepping way out of bounds.
1: I think there has been a a critical mass in in the movement, and we've gotten past a tipping point where, not to say that everything's downhill, but I think we've gotten to a point where homophobia is no longer cool, even in Utah. Even I, in Utah, yeah. And I think that's that's something to to note.
0: With that, let's go ahead and move into the Come Follow Me, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, as well as the book of Jude. Now, Derek, would you be so kind as to take us through the historical context of these books of John?
1: Yeah, so here's what we've got is, you've got three letters, um, which within the text are anonymous, we call the author John. And John's community has experienced a schism there are some people who departed and left and they're called secessionists in the scholarly literature and uh, he's having to, to deal with the aftermath of that and basically reaffirming walking in the light, loving one another, this is how you know who the true disciples are and a warning about those who had left. That's so when you kind say
0: he wrote this to, so who, who, who's he writing? This to exactly like who are his people here, and is he writing this to them as it like Paul wrote to the Corinthians or Galatians? Yeah,
1: it looks like. Or th- is he
0: writing this the way the author of Hebrews wrote to the Hebrews? Like this seems more a treatise on, you know, the faith, and less of a letter to certain people. Yeah. Can you say so more about that.
1: So what it looks like is is most scholars believe that the that um that the author here John. Is writing to a network of house churches in the Ephesus area in okay. Asia Minor who have gone through uh, mostly, um, uh, yeah. And so they, so that's kind of what we're doing. And we get some more of these like personal instructiony things in Second and Third John, where he gives specific, almost like a the, like those are cover letters to First John, where First okay. John is pretty general. But First John does talk. With some some things in mind that are actually going on in their community, so we'll get to that
0: we will yeah we will well, there seems to be two big things going on or two big ideas that John is uh, focusing on, at least in um, first John, and those themes I noticed are love as well mm-hmm. as you know apostasy. that seems mm-hmm. to be the common yep. theme of the books of John and Jude is they're all addressing an apostasy of sorts, right, albeit mm-hmm. from different Chronological standpoints it seems like John is in the middle of the apostasy and Or John is predicting an apostasy and Jude seems to be in the middle of it I don't know which one is which but that seems to be A big subject of what's being discussed in both John and Jude Do you want to say anything about what maybe be be distinct about the way John
1: talks about the apostasy Well I think for John A lot of it ends up really practical Mm -hmm. like in terms of who you listen to, and like who you welcome into your house, and um, how do you live, and how do you treat people, and how do you recognize who to believe? I like this isn't theoretical for John. You've got a living community. He's asking them to walk in the light. God is light. God is love. Mm-hmm. This is how you know. It's it's all of these things um sort of tangled together it's almost like a spiral in first john he comes back around to the same words in different combinations to make his points and when you get into second and third john he's got some specific directions for these communities and i'm like yeah this is i don't think it's theoretical for uh for the author of first john. i don't think it's theoretical for jude either right um there's there's something else um going on there it's it's difficult to know if these are connected in any way people more scholars connect second peter more with jude and it mm. looks like second peter used jude as a source and that's kind of what's going on looks
0: like second peter used jude as a yes, source yes yes all right and there's no possibility that maybe they were using another work as the same source because the way it sounds like and I only bring this up because mm-hmm. there was, uh, I don't remember if it was John or Jude, but one of them seemed to be pulling from an apocryphal source. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. That's definitely true for
0: Jude. Okay. That's definitely true for Jude. Mm-hmm. So is there a possibility they might be pulling from a similar source rather than Peter pulling from Jude? Or is that definitely the more likely the more likely? I think scenario? it's more
1: likely because... Second Peter is doing this sort of the same thing with that source, so I it see. looks like there's some literary dependence, not on just there, that they happen to be quoting the same source. But uh, okay, yeah,
0: got you. Thank you for sharing. All right, well, if it's all the same to you, Derek, I'd really like to uh, talk about uh, talk about the conversation on love that John seems to be wanting to have, and there are a lot of there are a lot of possible themes to explore here. But the one I want to explore is found in First John chapter 4. And I will start by reading verse 6 and reading until the uh, the relevant part stops. It reads, We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I do want to stop there for a moment because this verse really jumped out to me as a way or it jumped out to me because I immediately thought to myself, when people speak to us and we don't hear them, or when people share with us their needs and we don't hear them, then we are not of God. Mm -hmm. I immediately thought of the black community. I thought of the LGBTQ community in the church. Mm -hmm. I thought of how when members of that community who are just as faithful, if not more so than we are, when they speak up and share their needs with us, and we refuse to hear them or we dismiss their concerns then what does that say about us like what does it really say about us mm-hmm. when we don't really hear them something that sticks with me to this day Derek is the uh, is the is the insight that you shared about in in the book of Acts about how when the widows of Greece were in need they complained to the apostles mm-hmm. and the apostles received that complaint and they called seven men who were Greek themselves to minister to that population. They put people closest to the pain in power Mm -hmm. to be able to address that particular situation. Right, Because they understood this particular principle, this principle that if we are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. So I just really want to recommit myself personally to making sure that I'm able to hear those in my community who are marginalized in some way because I would never want to assume that I know what's best for them more so than they do. Right. So next time I see somebody who is on the margins saying that they have a particular need, I need to be able to hear them because according
1: to this verse, he that is not of God doesn't hear them. Right. And I think that's very true with women in the church. Uh, it's it's very easy for men to think, oh, I've got women in my life. I kind of know what's going on. They're you know, all of our leaders are married to women or were married to women, and it's, it, it just seems like uh, women should theoretically be so embedded that everyone knows what's going on. But that's not how it happens. Right. You've got this false comfort that says, oh, I've got these women that I love and care about. And you've still got tremendous ignorance about exactly what the pain is, what the problem is.
0: There's a name for this, by the way.
1: Like, I don't think it's,
0: okay, and I don't know the name of it. It's something with the word proximity in it, but it's basically this fallacy of proximity, this idea that just because you are close yeah. to a member of a marginalized group that you can't be bigoted toward that marginalized right, group. Right. For example, people saying, oh, I'm married to a woman, or I have sisters, so I can't be misogynistic. Mm-hmm
1: or I'm dating a black man. Oh uh, yeah. That that that, that my <laughs> personal favorite. <laughs> I got a black friend, but anyway. Yeah. So I didn't mean to interrupt. Um but yeah, so that that is a good point. Uh we need to and the, the whole point of First John is about community anyway, about how we treat one another, how yes. we reflect God yes. and how we can't say we know God if we don't love and serve one another. mm mm-hmm. Mhm.
0: Big one. And that brings me to uh, verse verse eight. It says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this is another thing that stood out to me simply because I'm just trying to recommit myself to being able to love fully Mm -hmm. and honestly and love in a way that's pleasing to God because, I mean, that's kind of a stern rebuke. If you don't love other people, then you can't say you love God. We've talked about this before, Derek, and I think John in his other work actually may have said this. Uh, and you know that first book of John we read at the beginning of the year, but it bore repeating apparently, and John actually repeated himself quite a few times here mm-hmm. with regard to this teaching of love it 's just this notion that we can 't say that we hate a person or that we or that we don 't love somebody or a member of a particular group or a whole particular group while saying that we love god as well
1: and i I think it's it 's important to notice. What metaphors Paul is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, John is using here. He's saying God is love, God is light. He doesn't say God is doctrine or God is institution or God is obedience or, or any of these other things that are actually good things. Yeah, love and light and truth this is the core of what God is. And when we make decisions in community, that should be our touchstone by which we decide everything. I think that's my my
0: biggest takeaway from this whole thing is that love is the principle upon which all righteousness, all law rests. Mm -hmm, And that is probably the most important thing we as Christians can take away from the gospel of Jesus Christ is that love is that love is foundational to the entirety of the law of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. I really could just end there with oh. what I gained from, <laughs> with what I gained from the love conversation as far as John is concerned. Um, I, I guess the only other thing I want to bring up from any of John is, any of the books of John, is um, the this idea about overcoming the world. I, I said I said this before the show started, Derek, but I've been pondering this quite a bit, what overcoming the world means. And I think on an intuitive level, I get the principle of overcoming the world, but I've really struggled to articulate how this has been hitting me and what it's meant to me. And Mm -hmm. I I would imagine that this means a different thing to everybody who internalizes this teaching. However, there is surely a general principle we we, we can all understand when it comes to overcoming the world. And I just wanted to know if you had any particular insights as to how wh- what it means to overcome the world
1: yeah i just want to back up and notice that from a literary standpoint the author of first john is using a lot of a lot of dichotomies you know you've got um, truth and lies you've got light and darkness you've got love and hate you've got all these really stark contrasts and it reminds me a lot of the uh, war scroll from the dead sea scrolls which is a sort of a community guide and it talks about the difference between the sons of light and the sons of darkness and how they are different and how how they've got um, just two different ways of flowing in the world two different sources that energize them and I think that's kind of what's going on here and remember like I said this is really practical because John's communities are trying to decide practical things about like even who they eat with and who they trust and who they let welcome into their house and learn from And Given that that's I think what what overcoming the world means is we've got something good here something prized and something valuable and the world is trying to tear that down Mm. and The world would would speak of of hate right and I think not Becoming hateful yourself would be one really obvious way that we overcome the world Mm. because the moment one of the first instincts is to use the world's weapons to fight the world, and once we've done that, we've actually lost because we've bought into hate and division and animosity, and that then we've lost. And I think Jesus and most nonviolent resistance is trying to use and tap into a different, uh, a different way, a different way of living, a different way of constructing the world. And you brought up, "We shall overcome." That great spiritual. And I think that's- gospel song, not yeah, a spiritual, not just a spiritual, just yeah, gospel song, um, yeah. And I think that's a that's a good example of of uh, of overcoming.
0: And given that such a big part of their fight against oppression and injustice was nonviolent and was above and unlike anything we've seen in terms of an actual resistance, a- a- as we might see during wartime overcoming had more than one meaning here like mm-hmm. they not only overcame the apparent injustices of their particular time but they also overcame the trial and the temptation of fighting on their enemies terms right they fought on their own terms and they won on their own terms
1: yeah but and that reminds me of what Audrey Lord said about the master's <laughs> tools cannot dismantle the master's house that's brilliant yeah the master's tools cannot right that we should we can't try to we can't use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house that's deep we've got to use different tools I really like that I really like that and that connects with something I wanted to say from first John 3 I'll read this is Tom Wayman's translation you said first John 3 yes first John chapter 3 Um. Starting with verses 1 through, I'll do 1 and 2. Okay, All right. We love what the Father has given to us so that we may be called the children of God, and so we, so we are. This is the reason the world does not understand us because it did not understand Him. Beloved, now we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see him as he is. And there's a great amount of hope here, like one day, so we're God's children, the offspring of God, one day we will be like him, one day we will see him as he is. But there's also a great humility here, saying look, we don't even know what we're gonna turn into. And I think that should give caution to all of the people who think they know exactly what the plan of salvation looks like Mm -hmm. for LGBTs or for single people or for people with disabilities or people who die before the age of 8 like there is so much we don't know that we that once you try to claim you know exactly what it's going to look like that's when you you run into an arrogance that is not found anywhere in the scriptures you have a great sense of awe and respect and humility in the face of we don't we can't even understand what we're going to be like and i think When we're all exalted, we're going to be, uh, that is such a great gulf between where we are and where we will be that the differences between us now will seem small compared to the difference between us now and us when we're exalted. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Right. But like uh, the life of a straight person here on earth and the life of a gay person on here on earth are both very similar compared to what an exalted life will be like. Mm Mm-hmm. Not that those differences will be erased, but the fact that coupled with eternal glory, somehow pe- people make it look seem like a gay person on earth is really far away from a straight person on earth who's just just underneath an exalted straight person right the, mm-hmm. There's just a little bit and and but it's the other uh the other i don't know if this is making sense. I'm, but it I'm makes sense so in my far. head because people think that oh the straight people you just give them a little nudge and that's exactly what being exalted like and it's something radically different thing being gay right and th- that an that a straight person on earth is really close to being an exalted straight person and really far away from being a, a a gay person on earth i'm like no we're all very very similar compared to the difference that one day will be revealed in all of us mm. And that will overshadow But not erase All these other differences And contextualize them And look It's gonna be um, We're we're so much closer Than we think To one another And that should give us Some humility When we talk about How the plan of salvation And uh, it's not that We know everything About the plan of salvation It's just that it's been Worked out in more detail By straight people For straight people Than it has been For these other populations Mm Mm-hmm And I want to come, and I just want to briefly jump to Jude
0: real quick because there's something here that is... Yeah, let's do uh, that. And, you know, we can come back to John, but what you said just made something in Jude stand out to me with regard to verse 3. There's a phrase in there that I'd never seen before, and I had to follow this cross-reference to figure out what exactly it meant. It's this word, it's this phrase, common salvation. That's a really interesting adjective to put in front of the word salvation because mm-hmm. there's kind of this implication that it's ordinary or normal or there's not something special about it. But look at the conf- look at the cross-reference here. One of the cross-references to common salvation points to 2 Nephi 26-33. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this verse, I'm sure you've heard it before. This is... I'm, I'm just going to read it. For none of these iniquities come of the Lord, for he doeth that which is good among the children of men, and he doeth nothing save it be plain unto the children of men. And He, inv- this is the important part right here. He inviteth them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness. And he denieth none that come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. And he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. What this word common means is that it's accessible to everybody everybody has access to salvation. Now Derek, even though you say that we haven't necessarily worked out what salvation is going to look, at, look like mm-hmm. for members of the LGBTQ community, and we have more details about that for uh, people who are straight and otherwise abide heteronormative standards, what we do know is that salvation is in fact accessible to everybody mm-hmm. because that's the way mm-hmm. God intended it. Mm-hmm. He intended it to be accessible to everyone. When, he's, when we read that phrase common salvation, all we need to understand is that salvation is intended for everybody and though certain people have more details than others what we do know is that it is for everyone and it is intended for everyone to have access
1: yeah so so the greek word here is um koines um koines haemon soterios our common salvation and it really means uh that w- which we share that we have in common. Now this word also can mean ordinary or secular, right. but it it but it also means um that which we share that we have in common that we um this communal thing. So it's our it's this Jude is writing about the salvation which we we share with one another that we have together. Yes. And yeah. And that that feeds directly into the cross references that you have have uh noted. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I was a
0: I meant to ask first what that word meant or what Greek word that's translated from, because I I suspect that the word might have been different. But you said it's actually the same word that can be translated in two different ways in common versus. Yes.
1: Koinos can mean that which is shared, but it could also mean that which is ordinary. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that Learned something new today. So anyway, is there, is there more you want to
0: cover in John? Because I really just wanted to jump to Jude briefly for, for that particular conversation because what you said just fed so well into that uh, thought that I had.
1: Yeah, that's all I, well, that's all I have to say about Jude for right now. But what else was I going to say about... Um, yeah, there
0: was, uh, I think, one or two things we wanted to discuss in, <clears throat> discuss in John. We wanted to talk about uh, diatrophies, we wanted to discuss that. Is this an appropriate time to do that, or was there one more thing we wanted yeah, to? Yeah, let
1: me just go um and talk about. Yeah, let's go into to Second John, and I just love this uh, summary here. Second, Second John. John, okay, verses four and four through six. All right. Because remember the the context, like I said, is these uh, secessionists had gone out, and now. John's trying to regroup his community, saying this is wh- how we know stuff. This is what we're f- focused on. This is how we know that we love one another. This is how we know that we're on the right. This is how you know who you can trust and listen to. And he's reminding them of stuff they've already known, which is which is, uh, maybe a lesson I should take when I'm trying to, <laughs> like – think that I have to come up with something new every maybe, time. Maybe, Derek, maybe. I know, I know. Derek's
0: got this thing where he's insistent on having new material at every single one of his speaking engagements, which is noble enough because I know that Derek likes to push himself as a theologian, push himself to be a better theologian, but every single speaking engagement he does, every single one, he's got to have new material. As if us Normies know what the rest of his material has been in the past.
1: Well, but my point is basically, like if someone's going to invite me all the way to speak somewhere and i I want to honor that and and make sure that 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 there's something that they get that they couldn't have gotten anywhere else, and something that they can uh, hold on to that and know that I've actually put time into them specifically and tailored it to what they are looking for but mm-hmm. that's and uh, my
0: counter argument to that was, and I think I said this last time. <laughs> Was that if I invite Justin Timberlake to perform at my birthday party and he performs Man in the Woods, I'm going to be pissed. (laughs) I don't want that new (laughs) stuff. Give me that old stuff. That is why I invited you here. Give me what I know. Give me what I want.
1: (laughs) But I'm not an artist. You're not an
0: artist. You're a theologian. I I know they're different. But the whole I mean, you see what I'm
1: saying. I like, get what you're saying. People invite You'll you. You'll get the same spirit from me, but it will just be a new angle on something. But anyway, let's Gotta get back to... <laughs> Derek doesn't want to have this conversation <laughs> anymore. and That's that's fine. Um, so yeah, 2 John verses 4 through uh, 6. I rejoiced... Okay, and this elect lady... So scholars think it could be one of two things. One is there's an actual woman who's a church leader... Or it could be a symbolic way of talking about a congregation as a woman and her her children being the people in it we've seen that before yeah yeah okay so it says um, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in truth just as we have received the commandment from the father and now I ask you dear lady not that I'm writing a new commandment to you but one we've had from the beginning so that we love one another and this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, even so, that you should walk in it. I just find that to be a, a good summary of what's going on in the Gospel of John and in First John, to say, look, we've got, we're supposed to, to walk in a way that reflects our identity as Christians. I mean, okay. that's just the best way of saying it. Like, so much of First John, um, echoes what Jesus taught in the Gospel of John, chapters thirteen to, uh, to sixteen, his farewell discourse. You know, in John. So I th- I just wanted to touch on that in Second John because then that gets into how they treat one another and how they learn to focus on the truth and ag- and avoid the deceivers. And 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 speaking of avoiding deceivers, let's go into Diotrephes in Third John. Yeah, yeah, okay. So it says. In 3 John verses 9 and 10, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, does not acknowledge us. Therefore, if I come, I will remember what he is doing, making empty charges against us. And not satisfied with that, he not only refuses to accept the brothers and sisters himself, but he hinders those who want to receive them, and he casts them out of the church. Now this is the only mention of Diotrephes in, this, in the New Testament, so we don't know anything about him other than what's right here, so it looks like he is one of these false prophets or dissenters of people who have left the community who is now causing trouble. But I, what I loved about this is um, how, 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 he, how, he, how he describes Diotrephes as someone who loves to be first and in in greek the the word is um well what is the word in greek i think it's philo proteion, mm. um loving to be first uh you've literally got love and first so even if and this is the only time this greek word appears in the entire new testament and so when i was reading it, i'm like oh I i don't even need to know this word to know what it is it's someone who loves to be first mm. and i think that is the root of so much of our problems in the church is certain people Loving to grasp onto whatever privilege they have and whatever authority they have and love to, to maintain that to position like, and like
0: wield it to the detriment of others Right, it seems. right.
1: You know how for example white people love to be 1st mm-hmm. or men love to be first or straight people love to be first or cis people love to be first or rich people love to be first mm. all of this loving to be first is is a problem right and it is the source of Diotrephes is apostasy because he loves to be first so much that he's unwilling to to let other people speak and unwilling to uh, have any hospitality for others who think differently mm-hmm
0: yeah Diotrephes outright rejected the authority of the prophets like this is something else that needs to be acknowledged here like the word that's used here in uh, the King James Version is preeminence which You know, we've already translated the Greek word as a love of being first, but this whole thing was that Diotrephes was, by definition, an antichrist, and he just did not. He, I mean, he loved himself more than he loved God. He wanted to be the guy. It seemed he seemed to be like when I read this, Diotrephes sounded like somebody who was like in charge of a local congregation or something, or maybe he was a host to some folks around here. I, I don't know what the deal was. Maybe he was a former yeah, ecclesiastical yeah. leader. But uh, I, I assume that primarily because the cross-reference for uh, Diotrephes or for this preeminence word was unrighteous dominion. Uh, Diotrephes just seems to want to wield his power in harmful ways. And we learned about this when we read through uh, James and when we read through Peter. We, we learned about... The negative effects of wielding power and privilege mm-hmm. in ways mm-hmm. that do not uplift other folks, and in this particular case, it's extra bad because he is what what he's doing in order to gain this privilege and to gain this preeminence is
1: rejecting the words of the prophets. Right. And if you uh, didn't listen to the episode we did on James, there's there's one point that I remember making that I want to make again is if you just had the text of the New Testament and looked from this text, what were their priorities? What were they about? Would you think that they were an anti-gay hate group or an anti-rich hate group? Mm. You wouldn't think that they're an anti, you would think that they are seriously an anti-rich hate group. Because if you look at how Jesus and Paul and James talked about communal life versus exploitation versus rich people, all these things, You would there is so much content that significantly condemns the accumulation of wealth and and the economic exploitation of others. It's just they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And the model of living together communally is they're all over the place too. You would think that they are these radical, anti-rich hate group people. Yeah. and And you wouldn't, and and just think about where Christianity has landed today. Most people who aren't Christians, they look at Christians and think, oh, that's an anti-gay group. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important thing about it. First of all, that's not even the core of who we are. Mm-hmm. And they've forgotten all about the anti-rich testimonies in the scriptures. And honestly, we, we kind of do that sometimes as well. And I would like,
0: and I'm really glad you brought this up because this kind of brings me back to that uh, overcoming the world piece. Um, some. There's another phrase that I, I'm pretty sure occurred in this particular reading. It's that phrase, if the world hates you. Um, I don't know if I read that in a cross-reference or if I read that directly in this, this week's mm-hmm. reading for Come Follow Me. But I remember reading the same phrase in an Elder Anderson talk that is actually titled Overcome the World. And one thing that he says in that talk, and I feel like leaders do this a lot vaguely, is they will talking about the world would sometimes mock the church because we are standing up for what we believe is right, and oftentimes that is read in the context of whatever LGBT, LGBTQ controversy we're dealing with that week, that month, that year, whatever it is. A lot of people use that particular phrase of letting the, of being proud of the world hating us um, to to justify their particular bigotry to members of the LGBTQ community. However, there's another way Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get the world to hate us, and that's by preaching against wealth. You know what I'm saying? Like, we don't have to be, this is what I feel like may have been a closer intent to if the world hates you or Mm -hmm. why the world would mock us. I feel like the world would still mock us. In fact, the, the world mocked the early church for how they traded among themselves and how they treated wealth at that particular time. Even though we did eventually cave at that point, we definitely had our issues with wealth. And if you want to get the world to hate you, I guarantee you preaching the anti-wealth messages of the scriptures are a way to do that. We don't have to hate gay folks. We don't have to hate brown, black and brown folks. We don't have to hate immigrants. We just have to hate the rich. And I feel like we would get plenty of worldly hate. You know what I'm saying? And um, I, again, I said this last week when we discussed John or two weeks ago when we discussed John. But um, I feel like a big reason we don't have a lot of sermons centering around the words of James is because of how radical they are and yeah. how we discuss the wealth, how we gain wealth, and how we, mm-hmm. uh, how we wield wealth and treat those who have wealth. You know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, there are, um, th- th- there are several things to be said there about what the world would hate us for or how we can overcome the world, mm-hmm. the temptations and trials. Yeah and that particular temptation and trial being wealth as opposed to an affirming
1: attitude of lgbtq mm-hmm. folks. Yeah, and I I don't I don't even remember if cuz cuz we I don't know if we talked about this but in 1 Timothy 6 is that's where you've got the famous passage that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Yes, and sir. I don't know if we talked about that, but it's but but this is all over um the bible. But you're right about and I think let's talk about this this getting a little bit of a an ego boost from being a persecuted minority like all right there is there is that <laughs> but there's there's two ways to be a um a minority that's despised by the world is one is believing having something as a minority belief because it's ahead of its time and having something that's a minority belief because it's behind its time and it's obsolete right mm-hmm. you're gonna always gonna have this you're gonna have uh for example uh Copernicus, you know, he said, "Well, the Earth goes round the Sun," and he was one of the few people saying that. And so he was; people didn't like him. and Galileo, people didn't like him because right. he was he was in the minority. Okay, but they were in the minority, and they were ahead of their time. Yeah, right. And we all caught up with them. Yeah, and now they're right. See, that's good. It's not good, for example, to be a geo. You could be a laughed at geocentrist right now if you wanted to be and say. Well, the earth is affixed uh, and the sun goes around the earth, and yes, you would be a mocked minority, but that's because you're behind the times, right? right? Everyone else has moved on, and so what What I think is people, what we should do is be prophetic. We should be ahead of where the world is, and we should be persecuted for w- being ahead of our time, not for being behind our time. Yeah. And I think we're ahead of our time on things like refugees and and the environment. Right. Mm-hmm. We've we've got a we as Latter Day Saints. But then there's this cultural emphasis th- that makes us want to be behind the times on things like LGBTs or, or race. And I'm like, no, you don't get heavenly cookie points or whatever they are. Heavenly cookie points. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> you don't get heavenly cookie points. Like God is not pleased. For you stubbornly holding on to something long after it's disproved, just that you can be um, a a despised minority opinion holder. Mm. Like, no, no. You get points for taking a risk and and saying something that's unpopular because it's ahead of its time. You don't get any points for saying something unpopular when it's behind its time, Mm. when it's already long disproven. That's a great point. And I think we should we should look at that. Like where can we be ahead of our time? Mm. We should have we should have been the first. Should have been. Uh, in to lead the you know, to help lead the civil rights movement. We should have been that first on, on the LGBT things. You know. Yeah. So that's think about that. You don't get you shouldn't get any heavenly cookie points. Heavenly cookie points. <laughs> for for saying something unpopular when it's already behind its time and it's had its had its chance to, to to prove itself and it hasn't
0: yeah yeah right
1: so that's uh i didn't have anything to say about jude or yeah the rest of i John.
0: only had one thing really yeah. like okay. um i only wanted to mention it because one of the clobber passages is in jude and is often used to say that the sin of homosexuality is why sodom and gomorrah was destroyed now we we go over the problem with this assumption at length in the longest clobber passage episode that we released over the summer i think. But what's worth mentioning here is that the Greek words translated as strange flesh in verse Mm 3 are heterosarx, meaning different flesh rather than uh, the Greek phrase homosarx, which would make more sense if the idea was to convey something that was homosexual. Would have made more sense. But we also have direct and indirect declarations of Sodom and Gomorrah's real sin in Ezekiel. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I'll just quote verse 16, or sorry, chapter 16, verse 49 real quick. Ah, uh, we read that pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in Sodom and her in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Like the real sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, according to the book of Ezekiel, and one would argue, could even argue, Christ himself was mm-hmm. inhospitable behavior. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, wasn't destroyed because they were there was a lot of gay folks there. And they were acting, doing, performing gay acts. They were they were destroyed because they didn't know how to treat their guests. Like that's right. the primary reason they were destroyed. They were destroyed because of inhospitable behavior. And if you want proof of that, like God already made the decision to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah long before the angels arrived. Right. That were threat that rape were threatened on. So, I just I just wanted to put that out there because this is another verse that people use to dispossess and disenfranchise Christian LGBTQs, and. It's on very shaky ground that you can do something like that. Yeah, that's all I wanted to say about Jude. Just an acknowledgement of the clobber passage that's in there so nobody can say we didn't address it. And just further address that, no, you can't use this to dispossess gay folks either. Right. Exactly. Yes. Thank you for giving me that, Derek. Do you have anything uh, else in John or Jude that you want to bring up before we... No, I don't. There's just so much we
1: could talk about. There's a lot
0: in... The books of John and in Jude like there's really so much theology in this short uh, short group of scriptures so I really encourage you guys if you didn't get a chance to go through this in more depth mm-hmm. please do that because there's really a lot in here and we'd be anxious to receive your thoughts about this as well like by all means send us messages tweet yeah. at us let, let's get your insights because we only have so much time that we can go over what is in here
1: and here's one challenge is to let your study of uh, of these texts, make a real difference in your life this week. Do something different this week, yeah. in terms of loving your neighbor, that you wouldn't have you you know, wouldn't have done already. Because if if you learn if you listen to us and if you read this and your life isn't changed and you don't do anything different, then you actually you didn't even get the point. You mm-hmm. did not get the point of mm-hmm. what this is about. This should lead to a transformed life. You should take on some new something new this week. Do be intentional about loving your neighbor more fully this week yeah. or else you've missed the, the point. That's that's the other reason we're here, guys. Anyway, if there is no
0: other thoughts about uh, the come follow me this week, we are going to go ahead and move to the prayer roll. Ooh, this is a good one. It really is, because not only do we get the opportunity to address somebody who is acted foolishly and unchrist-like, unchristianly. I don't know what the word is, I apologize. But we also get to lift up some people who responded appropriately to this awful situation. For those of you who didn't hear the story, I'm coming after this substitute teacher in Utah. What happened was a substitute teacher decided to ask her fifth graders what they were thankful for this holiday season. And one of her students replied with a serious and sweet answer by saying that he was grateful that he was getting adopted by his two dads. Now, rather than let that go and let that kid be great, this substitute teacher proceeded to lecture the kids on why homosexuality was wrong and that he shouldn't be grateful that he's going to be adopted by two dads. Now, thankfully, three girls in the class walked out and called the principal after witnessing enough of this abuse. But she, And she was even escorted off the... As she was escorted off the school grounds, she was still defending herself and even blaming the boy. Blaming the kid. Yeah, blaming the kid, which is just peak so, peak something. Like, what, what, what do you call it when you, like, blame somebody for the hurt that you're
1: inflicting upon them? Is it still gaslighting? I don't know. I don't... Okay. Know. I don't know what it is, but it definitely is vic- victim blaming. Yeah, it's definitely it's victim blaming. Something not right. It's. Uh,
0: yeah, so, somebody give me this word if it exists, but yeah, some victim blaming going on here.
1: Now, I got a lot of questions
0: about this particular incident. Now, I, I will say that she was a substitute teacher in Utah, and I was a substitute teacher in Utah. I didn't have a teacher's license. I only had basically a background check, and had to submit my resume. That's really all it took for me to become a a substitute teacher in Utah. I just had to submit to a background check and verify my education, which wasn't very much. All I had was a bachelor's degree in uh, psychology, and you didn't even need that to be a substitute teacher. So I I just want to say it probably doesn't take too much to be a substitute teacher out there. But how did this woman get hired here without being flagged for some suspected bigoted behavior. How did she not, like, do they, did they not train them on how to, you know, operate properly in a public school? Like, this is a public school where this happened in 2019, and this woman still felt like she could safely echo some unpopular viewpoints in a public school classroom? Like, that's a problem. Like, why did she feel okay sharing those views in a public school where you know that kind of speech is not allowed? And why did you have to defecate on someone else's happiness because you didn't agree with it? And why did you have to do that to an 11-year-old boy? Right. Like, why? Does Does she have any idea what kind of psychological trauma or damage she could have done to this young man? Like, something that really stood out to me in this story and something that I can really relate to is that he dealt with this abuse so that he wouldn't have to deal with any more trauma. Like, what this boy said was, I didn't want to speak up because I didn't want my parents to not adopt me. Like, the yeah. process the process wasn't finalized, and apparently this boy already had two failed adoptions before. Yeah. Now, if you talk to anybody who's experienced any kind of trauma, there are people that would endure more abuse if it meant that they didn't have to endure any more trauma. This is something that resonates hard with me as a black person. And I feel like anybody who just wants to hold on to privilege or gain any kind of access. Like, um, I know that as a black person, if somebody says something questionable, and this just happened this morning, like I was training in the temple. I was getting training in the temple. And one of the older temple workers felt it appropriate to say something about, He, he in essence, was shocked that a black man, that he was able to feel the spirit so powerfully from another black man. And I wanted to say something, but I was in the temple. I was training. And I knew that if I said something, that I might set back his opinions on what black people can be in terms of our general demeanor. You know what I'm saying? Like, what I'm trying to say is there are a lot of black people who don't want to speak up for themselves in moments of racism because... We know how that's going to affect us. It is very taxing to defend your own humanity, and it's very difficult to do that in a way that is going to appease a white mainstream audience who already doesn't respect your humanity. This is why allyship is so important, and you mm-hmm. know i'm going to come back to that i'm going to come back to that in a second, yeah, but um, speaking of speaking of uh, allyship, I did want to take a moment to Acknowledge the three young ladies in this class who advocated for this young man. Like, apparently this lecturing went on for like a good 10 minutes or 30 minutes. I've seen different reports say different things, but they repeatedly asked the teacher to stop, and eventually they walked out of the classroom and they got the principal. And um, again, this illustrates why allyship is so important. One reason this young man didn't speak up is because he didn't want to risk losing that potential privilege of having, you know, parents. And allies bridge that gap between the privileged and the marginalized by disrupting the solidarity that allows systems of oppression to abuse and traumatize the marginalized. So like when that's, when that solidarity is challenged, then bigotry is far less likely to move freely. For example, I had a a white acquaintance one time who um, called out one of his white friends for telling a racist joke And he told me that so far as he's concerned, at least when he was around, that white acquaintance never told another racist joke, Mm -hmm. which is pretty powerful when you really think about it. Like a lot of people and particularly in homogenous cultures like Utah feel comfortable saying a lot of the things they do about black and brown folks or about gay folks because they think everybody around them feels the same way that they do. But by disrupting that solidarity, by speaking up on behalf of the marginalized, you are sending the message that, hey, not all straight people think like this or, hey, not all white people think like this. And that makes the people that hold those opinions far less likely to share them in spaces where there are people that look like Mm. them or love like them, because now they're aware of the possibility that somebody may call them out regardless of the things they share in common. So allyship, super important. Part of why homophobia thrives is because every is because of this assumption that everyone around you thinks the way that you do. And this is why I think that woman, this substitute teacher, felt comfortable sharing her views on homosexuality in front of this class. There was two things at play here. One was the assumption that everybody thought like her. And two was the fact that she was in a position of power. These were children. These were 11-year-old fifth graders. Yeah. So, of course, her being an adult and in a position of power, she has... Like, that's just an intoxicating mix of, you know, privilege that just allows her to feel like she can spew her homophobia. You know what I'm saying? So, but anyway, these 11-year-old girls, they challenged her and got that teacher put out. And my hat goes off to those young ladies. I know I wouldn't have had that courage to do anything like that when I was 11 years old. Like, I was not I was not that kid. So, um, oh, and the last thing, you talked about, Love and light earlier from uh the book of first John. They they really illustrated a point that John himself made in chapter two of this week's Come Follow Me, and that's the idea that light dispels darkness. Right. Light this is light dispelling darkness in the name of recognizing the humanity of LGBTQ families.
1: And that was super man, that was super powerful. That made my heart smile. But and it just takes one descending voice to change the whole room. One voice. One voice. It's like when you no matter how dark a room is, if you just light one candle, you can see that candle everywhere in the room. Mm-hmm. Um and it, it just it just really is powerful. So don't don't be afraid because uh you know, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, as first John says. hmm There's there's something there's a power behind us. Mm hmm and i just yeah i just don't know what was in the mind of the substitute teacher because here's the thing i've been a substitute teacher for a, quite a long time myself um previously and like i know cuz you know your job is there's no job security they don't even have to fire you can they, they can just not decide not to not to give you any assignments or right. just there's like no there's no uh security there and so if you say something that makes people uncomfortable you might not be called back. And right. I'm like, that's that's the real and I don't know why she thought she could get away with this. Mm-hmm. But fortunately she didn't. Um but she definitely would have gotten away with this in the nineteen fifties. Certainly. Right? Every they she could have said that and everyone would have had her back. I mean she could have gotten away with this in the ten years ago. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
0: I'm I mean, considering the situation, considering the power and considering that she was in Utah, yeah. I'm genuinely shocked that she even got called out yeah. by kids. None yep. And no that less. the
1: principal apparently took the side of the justice, which is good. Good mm-hmm. for the principal as well to use. That's a good example of of. And I, what's what's good is probably the principal and the culture of the school had been such that to know this is not OK. And that the kids knew that if they spoke up they could get some results right because which
0: is impressive to me that they
1: have pre they they have pre-taught the students to know this is our this is what's expected here and this is not uh okay and and they knew they were they knew because there's places where they would they know that they could go to the principal and they wouldn't get anything done right but the principal was was out there in front of the problem yeah and i think that's what Um, good leadership is about is getting getting out there in front of the problem so that people know that you will have their back when when before it even happens
0: yep anyway prayers up for that substitute teacher like hopefully she gets some compassion and finds a i don't know finds another job where (laughs) they're gonna be cool with that nonsense but really wanted to raise up those young ladies for making this a far less damaging situation than it could have been and likely would have been 10 years ago if they weren't there. Um, yeah, that's all I want to say about that this week. Uh, Derek, any
1: housekeeping items or anything else you want to say about this before we proceed? Nope, just keep keep listening and uh, sharing, and let us know what you want to hear from us, and uh, just spread the word.
0: Yeah, one day left on the survey, everybody. One day left. So... But it just occurred to me. By the time this le- episode drops, drops in, it's yeah. gonna be less than eight hours. But oh well. nice life. <laughs> we got like we got plenty of respondents on it, but a few more yeah. wouldn't hurt. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So if you haven't filled out the survey, you can find it on our website at the top of uh, at the top of the what what do they call that thing? The menu bar? The header. The, the header. Bar? Yeah. I don't know. Find it on the top of the header of our website, or you can find it pinned to the top of our Facebook page and our Twitter, and uh, it would greatly help us a lot just create a better show for you guys because again y'all are why we do this and we just want to create the best show that we can for y'all
1: okay bye everyone take care